on this edition of the program. We preview the Iowa caucus, alas, from afar, but we do have a great interview. Seth Maskett of the University of Denver, somebody who has surveyed Iowa for the last year. Surprising and interesting revelations. It's all coming up. This is made possible by Oh Them Bones, Daily Tech News Show, and Craig. on Saturday. Blowing snow is still a concern and there may be additional light snow showers. So across our state today, we do have a blizzard warning and that does include our entire viewing area. The combination of wind, snow and visibility will create whiteout conditions later on today, especially in rural and remote areas outside of city limits. I can't stress this enough. Do not travel outside of city limits today if you don't absolutely have to, because if you do, you run the risk of becoming stranded later on today because some roads may become impassable, meaning that the drifts get so high on the highways that state officials... Oh, yeah. That's the story as I speak to you right now. Friday, January 12th, here on the Politics, Politics, Politics program. My name is Justin Young. I was supposed to be in Des Moines. Uh, not to get into the trains, planes, and automobiles of it, but as I am going to the airport last night, I literally am crossing into security when I get an alert on my phone that my flight from Denver to Des Moines had been canceled. They're rebooking me. Okay. They're rebooking me for Saturday. Saturday afternoon from Denver to Des Moines. All right. Well, not ideal, but I'm a business traveler. I know I need to get to Des Moines, so I'm going to try to get to Denver no matter what. I'll spend all day today. Well, realistically, I start looking at the at the weather forecast, and I understand that a once-in-a-generation blizzard is coming through Iowa on Friday, so I kind of feel like my only shot to get there, to get to Iowa, was last night. So. Considering it's about five o'clock in the afternoon central time, I'm going to go to Denver because I got more shot to get to Iowa if I can get on a flight that night, even though mine was canceled. Well, mechanical problems <laughs> in Austin. So the only time I'd be able to get to Denver would be later into the night. I I'd arrive in Denver at like 10 or 11 o'clock at night, at which point I know I'm not getting to Des Moines on Thursday, which means I have no shot of getting there on Friday, which means I have to get there on Saturday. So I am talking to you from Austin, Texas. I will get to Iowa on Saturday. Fingers crossed. A reminder, we do have a live We're Not Wrong program. That'll be on Sunday night, Caucus Eve. And I'll tell you what, anybody who hears my voice that dares to make it out to back pocket pin and pixel in Johnson, Iowa on Sunday night at 8 p.m. The round's on me. I'm just telling you, you're not going to pay for drinks (laughs) because myself and Andrew Heaton are going to make it there. Unfortunately, Jen Briney will not be able to make it. Uh, Her husband has uh, come down with an illness and she is unfortunately going to have to stay home and take care of him. So we wish both of them the best, but we will be there. Myself and Andrew Heaton, we're going to be a back pocket if, if, you know, if we're alive, if we're breathing, that's going to happen. But that means that I wasn't able to go out and see a bunch of events today, although I don't think there would be a lot of events today. We will see what we can see Saturday evening and Sunday leading up to the live show. And then obviously we will be around to catch all of the chaos that happens with the results of Iowa. But we won't, I'm not there now. And and I'm, and that's a bummer because it's, you know, the thing that we like to do to differentiate the show is actually be there. But again, you know, I don't know if we'd be really 
getting a lot today. It would be the difference of if I had gotten there last night, to be totally honest with you, as you heard from that forecast, where the state might have to shut down roads because they're going to be impassable. The difference is I would have been doing this intro in a snowed-in hotel room in Des Moines, watching daytime television with the same four ads playing over and over and over. And I am the kind of sicko that wishes that were the case. I desperately wish that was the case. Don't tell my wife. Because I'm happy to spend more time with her as well. But we do have an interview for you here today. And that is with Seth Maskett. Seth Maskett is a professor. He's an academic. But he's also an author and a political commentator. He has been... Well, you're going to hear it. He's been doing a lot of research on the Republican decision makers, specifically county chairs for the last year. And specifically in Iowa, he has tracked the rise and fall of this caucus. So if you want a great framework of how we got to where we are right now, this man will be able to bring it to you. So here we go. Seth Mask. As you, dear listener, are hearing this podcast, I am on the ground in Iowa, but there is somebody that has been watching the developing caucus for much, much longer than that. His name is Seth Maskett. He is a professor at Denver University and, of course, the director of the Center of American Politics at that institution. Seth, welcome to the program. Hi, thanks so much for having me on. Now, you've done something for the last year in terms of uh, tracking the developing Iowa caucus. Can you just explain your project and uh, what you have seen with it? Yeah, so this is for a, a book project I'm working on that's really on the Republican Party and how it makes decisions. But uh, I have been doing a survey uh, all throughout 2023 um, uh, talking to county chairs across the country. So. Uh, there are roughly 3,000 counties uh, and county equivalents across the U.S. Just about every one of them has some sort of a Republican Party organization. And I have been seeking out the the chairs of those organizations to get a sense of how they're thinking about the uh, the Republican presidential contest and and sort of other features of the political system and, and where their party is. Um, I started back in February of 23, and I've talked to them. Uh, about every two months since then. So this isn't just in Iowa. This is nationwide. This is nationwide. Yeah. Wow. So so Iowa is just uh, happens to be a, a a fraction of that. That's fascinating. Uh, yeah. Uh, so so yeah. So so this is something that that you are you you've identified as many as you can, and then you're just sending an email, giving them a call. I mean, that's that's a, it's a pretty heavy load. Yeah, I had some uh, some students help me try to identify as many of them and find as many emails as I could and then reach out over email to conduct a survey. Um, I should mention, I've also been doing like a bunch of interviews in Iowa and, and you know, just to get a sense of how people are thinking about it, you know, particularly in a state where so many of the candidates are and so many of the reporters are and like people really have to be thinking about this early. Yeah. Um, but yeah, part of it was just I, I, I was interested in kind of when I'm thinking of county chairs, I'm thinking of sort of like the middle management yeah. of a political party. Yeah. You know, people who we're not in an era really where like local party leaders can necessarily dictate who's going to become a delegate or anything like that. They don't have that kind of direct power, but they are they do tend to be very plugged in. They pay close attention to politics. They uh, they're you know, they're well connected to other people, to donors and other people who are very politically interested in they have some sense of what's going on. And I was really kind of interested just, you know, how they're sizing up the candidates and how that might differ from the rest of the party. And that's specifically true with Iowa, which is extraordinarily retail campaign heavy. I've often joked on this show that the candidate that wins is often the one that can memorize the names of the most cats of the voters in that state. But uh, uh, county chairs do matter because they do track a lot of things in terms of Candidates visiting, which happens from the very a very very early stage. So let's go all the way back to February when you first start talking to people. At this stage, we have one announced candidate that that's Donald Trump, and we are on the verge of other people jumping in. Uh, what was the first blush of your research into Iowa county chairs? 
Yeah. So it was really fascinating. Uh, back then, you know, I, I, I approached this question a few different ways. Usually I would just start by asking, uh, are you committed to a candidate at this point in the presidential mm-hmm. race? And back then, about 50 percent of county chairs I spoke to were saying, no, they're, they're not. Um, so, you know, they were, you know, kind of keeping their powder dry, waiting to see who emerges and who doesn't. Among those who did uh, say that they had picked a candidate, um, about half, you know, this is back, this is like last February, this is almost yep. a year ago, yep. about half are with Trump and about half are with Ron DeSantis. Um, okay. So it, it really looked very competitive at that point. And, you know, it's interesting to think about sort of where the contest was then. I mean, we were still sort of coming out of the 2022 midterm elections. Yeah. Um, there was sort no, of like no, no red wave. You know, the, the issue right. of abortion becomes a major issue. There's some liabilities. Right. And it's kind of a sense that uh, that the party had underperformed in part because of Donald Trump, that he had, mm-hmm. you know, picked a bunch of bad candidates and championed them. He'd made the election about him and it didn't need to be. And, and so that and that was hurting him. And sort of, you know, DeSantis was the non-Trump candidate most people had heard of at that point. Um, and he he hasn't officially declared, but he you know, it was it was pretty clear that he was running at that point. So uh, the, the the big points that that I know from following this that are on that calendar are all the other candidates getting in up to and including Ron DeSantis and Donald Trump beginning to be charged with some of the uh, cases that he now is going to face in 2024 in court. Do any of those coincide with watching the the, the data or the commitment shift with the county chairs? Yeah, definitely. Um, the, the next wave of the survey I ran was the beginning of April. And that was right around the time that uh, the, the first wave of indictments came out against Donald Trump. The, that was the, in the Manhattan case. Mm-hmm. Um, and conveniently enough for my survey anyway, um, you know, I already had the survey in the field when those indictments became official. So I had like, you know, half the cases are before the indictments came out, half are a- after. And one thing that you see is just like uh, a very sharp uh, consolidation behind Donald Trump once those indictments come out. It made people a lot more likely to back him. Um, and it really, it seemed to, it hurt DeSantis. It helped Trump. Um, it definitely helped Trump. One of the striking things to me was that um, it wasn't just that Trump was gaining the support of people who'd been previously undecided. He was actually gaining support of people who previously backed Ron DeSantis. Mm. Um, so he was actually, he was pulling people who'd previously committed to someone else. Yeah. Um, who just said, well, I tried this DeSantis thing, but now is the time to rally behind Donald Trump because he's under attack. And that really, and that's consistent with a lot of other ways people have had of looking at this contest, just that, you know, like seriously, like the single thing, best thing Donald Trump did for his campaign is to get indicted. Yeah. (laughs) Which, yeah. I would not recommend that for any other candidate, but yeah. (laughs) It's certainly not in the handbook of uh, how to become president, right? You know, you have to go deep into the appendixes to find that. But uh, uh, it seems consistent with any and all metrics, uh, at least in terms of this race, that the primary race, Donald Trump becomes a far and away favorite as soon as he starts getting indicted, but also at least in the general election polling that we've seen and the swing state polling that we have seen. He was trailing in races beforehand and he is leading now. Now, obviously, there's a lot more that goes into it, but it does seem like even in an extraordinarily provincial place like Iowa that very much likes to make their own mind, they have often bucked the Republican mainstream trend for more evangelical candidates in the past, but they've never been afraid to go their own way. In this case, everybody was lockstep. Donald Trump's being persecuted, and we need to buckle down and support him. Yep, yep. That's fascinating. That's yeah. that's that's uh, uh, you know. And, and let me let me ask you this because one of the biggest, most fascinating parts of this specific caucus, and something that I'm very excited to talk to people when I get on the ground, is the collapse of the evangelical lane. In Iowa, uh, Donald Trump has a lot of of support there, but there were three candidates that were explicitly campaigning from the pews, like often is successful in Iowa. Uh, Tim Scott, Mike Pence, Asa Hutchinson, two of them have dropped out. One of them 
probably should, but nobody uh, has apparently gotten the memo to him that he's not polling well. Uh, did you see any kind of boomlet in terms of the the county chairs for any of those candidates? Was there ever a moment where there was even an overrepresentative glimmer for the <laughs> evangelical lane? Um, not really. And I, I actually, I find that really kind of striking. Um, I attended, it was the, uh, the Iowa faith and freedom coalition event, uh, mm-hmm. the kickoff back in April, I believe, um, in the Des Moines area and ended up talking with a lot of folks there. Trump wasn't there, but a number of other candidates yeah. were, and I, I was just trying to get a sense of how people were, were thinking about the candidates and like, you know, you could see, just talking to people, there was genuine affection for a number of the candidates. Yeah. I mean, you know, people like Mike Pence. Uh, people like Tim Scott. They like what these candidates have to say. And they agreed with them probably on more issues than they did with most other candidates. Um, but ultimately, they considered Trump their guy. And it was really kind of striking. To, I mean, one sense of it was just like, well, this guy's actually been in there. We know what he'll do. And we like that. Yeah. Um, so like there, there was, I think, less uncertainty than there was with other candidates. But also some of it was it struck me as very transactional in the sense that we don't necessarily think that Trump believes religiously as we do. Sure. Um, but he is willing to make promises to us and follow through on them that like they credited him. You know, like a lot of people have run uh, for evangelical vote in Iowa, promising to overturn Roe v. Wade. Yeah. He was the guy who actually got it done. Yeah. And that just creates an enormous reservoir of goodwill for him, even if they don't think he's a good Christian necessarily. They're just like, this guy cares about what we care about, or he's willing to make promises on things we care about and actually and actually get them delivered in ways that like Rick Santorum never could or Mike Huckabee never could. Um and that uh, and so, like, in many ways, that vote was never really available for the other candidates. I'm I'm going to make a an analogy here that's probably not very well thought through. So um, we but, love that yeah. here. We <laughs> love it here. Half baked analogies yeah. Yeah. Are, are, are are bread and butter. <laughs> so in, in 2020, um, when, you know, Democrats were trying to pick a candidate, mm-hmm. um there were a number of pretty good candidates like uh, Kamala Harris and Cory Booker in like 2019 were looking pretty solid. And I think that the sort of consensus was, wow, if one of these folks can really get the black vote behind them, they could really go places, but they couldn't because Joe Biden already had that lockdown. Yeah. And there was just, and there was a very pragmatic sense from a lot of black voters that it's like, we have no problem with these other candidates. We think Joe Biden can actually win and deliver on the things we care about. Yes. And I, I think there's a similarity there to how how evangelicals oh. are viewing Trump in the sense that it's not like they don't like some of these other candidates. Yeah. It's just that they think this guy can actually get it done. And and like in the Democratic uh, field, you know, Hillary Clinton had more of the black vote than Barack Obama until Barack Obama proved that he could beat Hillary Clinton. Right. So it's like right. prove you can be at the top of the ticket. And then maybe these these organizations uh, will will start to or this this cohort will start to look at you in a different way. If you can prove electoral viability and you are more agreeable, then maybe we got something cooking. But if it's just ideology, then sorry, buddy, maybe maybe season up and then come back next time. Right. Brought to you by TakePoliticsSeriously.com. A reminder that, you know, no matter what, uh, uh, I got to pay for these hotels. I got to pay for these rental cars. And and when it comes to stuff like this, you know, I got to go out of pocket to pay for another hotel in Denver tonight so I can make sure that I try and stand by every flight I possibly can to get into Des Moines as early as I can tomorrow. And it's all because of you. It's because of TakePoliticsSeriously.com. It's because you guys make this a reality. So, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Greatly appreciate it. Let's spend all the time we can on our latest polls here. So, as we've mentioned, the real drama in Iowa is not whether or not Donald Trump's going to win. Donald Trump's going to win. The drama there is whether or not he comes in over 50%, especially considering it 
looks like it's going to be very, very cold. Right now, his real clear politics average is at 53. If he comes in closer to the mid-40s, low-40s, then, you know, interesting. If he's up in the over 50, that's exactly where he wants to be. Donald Trump right now, the only downside for him is that he has inevitability, which means if he is less than dominant, it's a story, especially leading into New Hampshire. But the real drama is whether or not Ron DeSantis spent the amount of money that he spent in Iowa for naught. And for naught equals Nikki Haley being second in Iowa. We've said repeatedly on this show, Nikki Haley has to walk the savage path. 21, 21. Second in Iowa, first in New Hampshire, second in Nevada. Although that's going to be weird because her and Trump aren't going to be in in the same contest. We'll get to that when we get to it. Uh, And then first in South Carolina, 2121. That's what she needs to do. That means she needs to be second in Iowa. Let's take a look at the polls here. The most recent polls, all of which have been taken in January, have Nikki Haley tied with Ron DeSantis in three out of the four. Trafalgar's poll has them 1818. Iowa State Civics, 1414. Insider Advantage, 1717. There's one that is divergent, and that's the Suffolk University poll that has Haley up 2213. Okay. All of these were taken. Actually, no, all but the, the last two were taken with Chris Christie involved. Iowa State Civics had Christie at 4%. Trafalgar Group had him at 3 So as we get closer, as the closing of this event happens, and it's not going to be as bustling as you would expect because of all the weather, are Nikki Haley's people dedicated? Because the big question that you have with Nikki Haley is is the reason why she is even in this race because of Trump animus. And is Trump animus enough to get people out of their house when it's cold, when the roads might not be great? Similarly for Ron DeSantis. If you don't really believe DeSantis is going to be president, are you really going to go out and caucus for him? I mean, if this is the end of the road for Ron, you know, if this is on top of spaghetti all covered with cheese, I lost my poor meatball. Like, if this is the end, are you really going to leave your house? And I guess you could also extend that to Donald Trump. You know Trump's going to win. Don't worry about it. Stay home. He's got it. Does that open the window for other people? We're going to see. The weather is going to be a factor in this, but Nikki Haley needs to be second. And here's the reason why. Because New Hampshire is actually what matters right now. That is the big, big, big issue. And we do have four polls now that all have happened since the turn of the year. Donald Trump up double digits in all but one. A CNN University of New Hampshire poll that had Haley within seven. That had Christie at 12. No polls have been taken since Chris Christie dropped out on Thursday. Not even a snap poll. But in the most recent polling, it does appear that Nikki Haley is surging. A St. Anselm poll has Donald Trump at 45, Nikki Haley at 31, Chris Christie at nine. That puts... Nikki Haley, let's assume everybody falls into the Nikki Haley camp. That puts her at 40. Again, the big question that I have is that I don't believe, I think Nikki Haley and Donald Trump, this might be a one-on-one in New Hampshire. Chris Christie has already dropped out. I expect Ramaswamy to drop out after Iowa. And to be totally honest with you, I expect Ron DeSantis to drop out after Iowa. Which means... And, you know, I don't know for sure on the historical side of this, but I would guess that this is going to be the first one-on-one in New Hampshire 
since Gore Bradley. I mean, I, I think that that, that was, that was, that was, you know, the first kind of mono a mono that we would have in New Hampshire, at which point you've got, you know, let's take this WHDH Emerson poll. You've got 23 points up for grabs. Chris Christie had 12 in that poll. Ron DeSantis is seven. Ramaswamy has four. Let's assume Ramaswamy's four goes into Trump's camp. Chris Christie's 12 goes into Haley's camp. Then how does that DeSantis break? How much of never Trump is in DeSantis? Let's also remember that Democrats and independents can vote in New Hampshire. So it is prone to surprises. But we have to wait until next week to really see these Chris Christie polls because, or the, the Chris Christie less polls. And we also have the question of is Christie going to out and out endorse Nikki Haley? Is Chris Christie going to barnstorm for Nikki Haley for a week? You know, you would imagine if that's going to happen, it happens on Tuesday. Iowa caucus is on Monday. If Nikki Haley can get second there, she declares moral victory. Boom. PJ to Portsmouth, New Hampshire. On stage, Chris Sununu, Chris Christie, Nikki Haley. Let's go. If it bleeds, we can kill it. Let's show Donald Trump he is not inevitable. He is going to lose. And then we're on to South Carolina. And it is a for real, for real big fight in South Carolina. because. If you can win in New Hampshire and you can win in South Carolina, you're a real candidate. You are going to fight. You are going to dogfight for delegates. And it is going to show Donald Trump as being beatable. Nikki Haley is kind of built in a lab to do it. If she can't do it, nobody can. She is never Trump enough to get that element. She is universal name ID in South Carolina, unlike a John McCain in 2000. So we'll see, but we're getting ahead of ourselves. That is the facts on the ground. Those are the polls as of now. I don't, I think we'll probably get that final Ann Seltzer poll at some point over the weekend. And that will be the big thing, but you know, you guys will have to tune in. If you are on the Patreon, our $3 club, TakePoliticsSeriously.com. That's where, unfortunately, you are going to get the entirety of my on-the-ground in Iowa coverage uh, because we weren't able to make it out today. And to be totally honest, nothing is happening today because of the freezing. So wanted to do a little bit of that for you guys today. Unfortunately, couldn't on the free feed. However, if you are a patron, that's the place to go. TakePoliticsSeriously.com. Three bucks a week gets you two bonus episodes each and every week. Head on over there right now. Thank you guys so much. TakePoliticsSeriously.com. So where do things really start to crater for DeSantis? Because that ultimately, obviously we got to see next Monday night exactly what's going to happen. But... You know, like 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 the sports writer who's starting to write his game feature in the third <laughs> quarter, we can kind of tell the story that I was going to be about a lot of money that was burnt by DeSantis and DeSantis affiliated packs for not a lot of gain. What have you seen in terms of that cratering out? Yeah, and you know, it's it's hard to find any sort of one moment in there. Like after after the Trump indictments in April. Um, you know, a lot of things that would have gone his way just didn't anymore. Mm -hmm. And his support has just sort of slowly whittled away over time. Um, and one of the things that sort of struck me is that like, there's, uh, I, I sort of expected a, a little bit of a, of a rally back toward DeSantis, maybe over the last month, considering a number of pretty high profile endorsements that yeah. went him away from, from the governor, from Vanderplatz. Um, and, uh, that just didn't seem to happen. His, his numbers have just continued to winnow. There's, uh, there, there's one area in which I would still say there's a little bit of hope for him. Um, so I've asked 
people, I've asked these county chairs a couple of other different questions. One is, regardless of who you're, you know, wh- whether or not you're supporting anyone at this point, who who are you open to? What yeah. candidates are you open yeah. to? Would you are you considering at least? And you can name as many as you want. And DeSantis has been at or near the top of that list pretty much all year. Like mm. Trump actually, Trump actually passed him uh, a couple of months ago on that. But DeSantis has remained very high on the on the number of chairs that are at least open to him. And then I also ask, who do you definitely not want to see as the nominee? And DeSantis has pretty reliably been at the bottom of that list. Gotcha. Like almost almost no chairs are like flat out opposed to him. Um, if for some reason, if Trump suddenly decided tomorrow, he's like, I can't actually run for president anymore. I have to drop out. Like DeSantis would have a pretty good shot at getting a lot of that support, regardless of how the campaign has gone so far. There's a lot of people who've been exposed to him. Don't hate him. Yeah. Um, they just, they just don't see a need to back him at this point. So based on your findings, this seems like in terms of the DeSantis issue, it, it might just be more about the Trump show and less about a stunning indictment on DeSantis that he pulls the full Grassley goes to all 99 counties and yet people <laughs> like him less, but it might just be attrition because Trump is popular and he's persecuted and it's everybody get in the car. We're, we're, we're running Trump again. I really do see it like that. Like um, the only reason like, like people are talking about, you know, why did why did DeSantis fall apart? Why, yeah. you know, why, why did he prove so toxic? And like, for me, the more, the more important question is why was he even popular in the first place? Yeah. And I think the answer to that is just like, he was a household name in the sense that, you know, he ran in 2018 for governor, basically running on Fox news. So basically yes. Republicans all across the country knew his name at that point. And when Trump was relatively unpopular coming out of 2022, he was sort of, he inherited a lot of that. Um, but as the party rallied around Trump, you know, DeSantis was the one to suffer from that. And it wasn't necessarily any one thing he did wrong. I mean, you know, it's easy to sort of Tuesday morning quarterback it and find areas where he spent money that he shouldn't have spent, or, you know, he was an awkward campaigner. I mean, you know, all that's true, but I don't think that's necessarily the, you know, what, what, what killed his campaign. I think it's just the fact that he was always sort of running to be the guy in case Trump couldn't run. And Trump has simply stayed in it because he didn't, they, they, he obviously did not feel comfortable going mano a mano with Trump and, and being extraordinarily aggressive. Trump has none of those compunctions and has been (laughs) the space lasering him since uh, three months before (laughs) he announced. Uh, And, and that's, that's, that's just it. But even now you're saying, even as he has been surpassed by other candidates, specifically Nikki Haley, who we'll get to in a second, he still is fairly well liked. He's still a high pick for for a second place, and he is still not on the high among the list of people that that people really don't like. It's just he's kind of in in the mushy middle. Uh, yeah, yeah. So I mean, which in the you know, in the long run, that's probably works to his advantage. He's still, he's in his forties. Yeah. Right. He has a lot of years of viability left if he wants yeah. to be president. Um, he hasn't necessarily burned his bridges within the Republican party. There's a lot of people who are still open to a presidency and, and the model he has in mind. Um, but uh, it's, you know, it was always hard to see how anyone, uh, you know, breaks through this and actually directly challenges Trump. And, he obviously never wanted to alienate Trump supporters because he yeah. needs them. Um, and so he wasn't, you know, the only thing he really criticized Trump for was not being at debates. That was kind of it. Yeah. Uh, not not, not, he, not being effective and not being at, at debates. Yeah. And and even then, I think he was even less than some of the other candidates in terms of that. But let's let's take a look at, at Nikki Haley. We have said on this show that she if this is to be a competitive primary and and that would be an upset at this point. But let's say that it were to be that Nikki Haley has to do the the 2121 strategy of second place in Iowa, where Trump is a prohibitive favorite, beat him in New Hampshire, second place in Nevada, first place in her home state of South Carolina. But all that begins with a second place, take take victory out of the uh, uh, second place trophy, uh, moral victory of Iowa. Where does Nikki Haley start for you? And where is she right now as we move in to caucus time? 
Yeah, so she's sort of on that glide path to be the comeback kid, right? I mean, we'll, <laughs> we'll see. Um, it's interesting. So she was, uh, you know, at least in my survey, she wasn't on a lot of people's radar for most of the year. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in terms of the the question, of like, who are you who are you supporting? Like fewer than five percent. Uh, had been supporting her up until very recently. And and she actually, she got like a real jump up to about 15 or 16% in the most recent survey. But she's been kind of kind of quiet in the background for a while. Fair number of chairs said they were at least open to her, like between 30 or 40% most of the year said they were, you know, considering her. But uh, they, they knew her name, but didn't know all that much about her. Um, it really seems to be, uh, I think she's a story about debates. Gotcha. Once the once the debate started in the fall or late summer, um, that was really a very good medium for her. She did. Uh, she comported herself quite well in those. Um, she, uh, you know, again, didn't have a lot of direct criticism for Donald Trump. There was some more than DeSantis had um, some about spending deficits, yeah. um, you know, a little bit about just sort of generally like there's a lot of chaos that follows him around and maybe we need less of that. Um, but I think she has, I think made a fairly compelling case for being the candidate of the non Trump wing of the party. Yes. Which is still a pretty sizable wing. It's not always clear what the majority is. Um, but, uh, you know, she is doing well lately and just sort of consolidating that, that anti-Trump portion of the party. Um, and not a lot of other candidates are getting much traction. So I think one thing she did in the debates is she articulated, um, I think what you might call like a conventional conservative Republican view, particularly on foreign policy Mm. at a time when not a lot of other candidates were talking about foreign policy. Um, and she sounded in many ways like, you know, like a more traditional, like Reagan, Bush, Romney type conservative there. And for, you know, for a, a fair chunk of the party, that's still very compelling. Um, you know, particularly as, as an alternative to, as an alternative to Biden, maybe even as an alternative to, to where Trump was, um, they, they found that compelling. So you really see her take off like in the October and December waves, um, of this survey and, and start to make some inroads. But I, you know, judging, just looking the polling in the swing states or the polling in the early states has been really quiet over, over the holiday break, but we're yeah. just starting to see some evidence now. Um, that she's made maybe some inroads in Iowa, uh, maybe a fair amount in New Hampshire. Um, yeah, there was a poll this morning that had her like within about seven points of Trump there. Yeah, within within a Chris Christie of of yeah. Trump, which will be yeah. a which will be a very very interesting. That will be where all the pressure will go, depending on what happens in in Iowa. But more specifically to the uh, Hawkeye State, we did see her ahead, you know, by a percentage point so very well within the margin of error but for the first time in a while ahead of Ron DeSantis and that I think is going to be necessary if she wants to catapult herself forward and start to make this look like okay this is a this is a story this is a narrative this is this is going to be now a thing that will be building toward New Hampshire and then if she wins New Hampshire yada 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 through New, ne- Nevada but then we have you know, South Carolina, where she obviously has universal name ID. Yeah. Yeah. And like, it's interesting because like a lot of her, you know, she's concentrated a lot on New Hampshire and uh, she has the backing of uh, Governor Sununu there. Mm-hmm. You know, like that's been a place where she I, I, that's always been sort of more in line with with her version of, of Republicanism. Yes. Uh, Iowa, I mean, she's done actually obviously a fair amount of campaigning in Iowa, but that was always, I think, a harder reach for her. So if she comes out next week, Ahead of Ron DeSantis, who has really staked everything on Iowa. Everything. Um, he's like, he's put all his fortune into that and gotten a ton of, of very prominent endorsements mm-hmm. from Iowans. Um, and, and she comes out ahead of him. Um, uh, that really helps her going into New Hampshire, where she's looking pretty strong. It's not good for DeSantis at all. I think um, it might, might be, might yeah. be time, time for bed. If that's, if that's the case, <laughs> yeah. it might be the campaign might be getting a little sleepy. Uh, you know, I always whenever I cover Iowa specifically, I always try to go to the campaign that I think is going to end. Uh, I'm always look I'm always hunting for the 
the oh, like the big bow out speech. Yeah, the, that's what that's what I'm that's Howard what I'm Dean's always looking for. The- <laughs> yeah, well, anyway, that was the opposite. I mean, hopefully, fingers crossed, I can get uh, 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 something. Last last cycle, I got I got lying dog face pony soldier with Biden in uh, in New Hampshire, and then I got Tom Steyer dancing with juvenile uh, playing black back that ass up. So uh, wow. hopefully that was a good haul. It was a good haul. You, we, we, you picked we have, them, man. That we was, have fingers okay. <laughs> crossed. We have fingers crossed for, for this cycle. But DeSantis is my pick for pers- people who who if he comes in third, it might be i mean even just for the burn rate alone i mean it's been legendary how fast that campaign has ripped through money yeah. uh i don't know if they're going to be able to make the hotel bill on the other side if they can't uh <laughs> if they if they come in third uh let, let me ask you about one more candidate somebody that has spent an extraordinary amount of time in iowa and think i i think i saw some data today that said he has by uh hundreds of events uh uh, uh lapped everybody else in this race and that is Vivek Ramaswamy, somebody who's speaking of debates, had a bit of a surge. His debates, unlike Nikki Haley and, and in direct contrast to Nikki Haley, since he was very, very confrontational with her, uh, seemed to turn people off, specifically in Iowa. What did you see? Did did the county chairs ever give Ramaswamy a, a sniff? Uh, somewhat in like the middle of the year. And mm-hmm. that's an area where like... Um, even before he showed up in the debates, um, you know, just when I would talk to people, his name would come up a fair amount. You know, I think part because he was doing a lot of a lot of campaigning. Yeah, um, he was he was just he spent a ton of time in Iowa, New Hampshire, and some in South Carolina, Nevada. Um, and uh, you know, they noticed him, and I talked to a few county chairs who were telling me that when people at their meetings say, you know, when he asked them, like, well, what candidate should we reach out to? Who do you want to hear from to maybe come and visit us? Like Ramaswamy's name would almost always come up. Um, They were just, they were just interested in him. He just sounded like, he sounded like he sounded bright. He sounded confrontational. Like there was, there was a lot of just sort of like initial candy there. Um, And I think that served him well in the first debate um, where he was very good at getting people to talk about him and talk at him and, uh, you know, make himself kind of the center of controversy um, just to just to increase his name ID. I don't know that he ever had another gear to shift into. Yeah. Um, he was just always going for the confrontational thing. And I think that that wears thin after a while, uh, particularly like like, you know, all the other candidates clearly despise him. Um, <laughs> well, except and, except for one who didn't show up on stage, right, which, right. <laughs> you know, I think that that's. The other the other thing that I think is is very quick to happen right after Iowa, if not, I, I predicted it possibly before, is yeah. he joins his his rightful place being beamed up to the MAGA ship and and <laughs> opens Trump rallies for the rest of the cycle, which I think is is kind of his natural place in this particular campaign. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, but, so, but still, yeah. but, but you say that, so the county chairs were interested in him because that, I think he was a great example of, you know, an Iowa tradition. Iowa does like to make stars. Iowa does yeah. like to reward people that show up a lot. They love the people that are going to be at every Elks Lodge and pizza ranch up and down, uh, for a year ahead of time, every steak fry, if it's on the Democrat side. So like he, he did it, he has made a name for himself, but the 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 word from your data was nice but not yet <laughs> yeah i mean that's uh, people were briefly interested and uh you know in the in the more recent surveys they have kind of they lost interest yeah um he was never very high like very very few people said they were committed to him at least in the middle of the year people were saying they were open to him yeah uh those numbers have dropped his negatives have risen pretty substantially um, so I don't know. I mean, obviously he's in his thirties. If he wants to do this again, he's got a lot of options down the road. Yeah. But, um, I, I don't, I don't know that he's made a ton of friends this year. So, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> uh, does he top the list of the absolutely nots uh, of that, 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 that negativity list, uh, or uh, if not him, then who? No, he's approaching it, but he's never, he's not there yet. No, all year long. The, the do not want list has been topped by Chris Christie. Ah, 
Yeah. And which I, you know, not terribly surprising because like Christie's one thing has been very explicit opposition to Donald Trump and people, yes. and, you know, 50 to 60% of chairs did not want to hear that. Um, so and, yeah, and, and, you know, know to, they don't know what he's doing, but they don't think it's running for president. If Nikki is second, it will be interesting that we kind of have a little bit of a three bears situation where the never Trump element of Iowa, uh, Chris Christie too hot. Ron DeSantis mm-hmm. <laughs> too much like Trump and and Nikki Haley might be just right. She is critical, but she is not uh, uh, an incendiary bomb thrower. She is not there to totally trash the idea of Donald Trump. She is there to try to present an alternative that isn't explicitly I'm Trump, but not Trump in, in right. a way that DeSantis <laughs> has almost, you know, by the book said, uh, I'll, I'll be Trump, but I'll actually get things done. That that's been his chief criticism of Trump is that he wasn't effective enough. Right. Right. Well, there we go. It'll be very, very interesting to see. And thank you so much for, 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 for tracking this. And I'm very excited that this was a, a nationwide uh, a situation because I'm sure that there's a ton of data, not only for all of the events that will continue to unfold here on our primary calendar, but also for, the the general election uh, ahead of time do, do you have a do you have a, a time frame on uh publishing either more of that data or the book that you're working on um i will likely do at least one more round of this survey i want to um see how things end up after new hampshire mm-hmm. um and particularly like well i'm thinking nevada is going to be kind of a mess right because you have both a primary wow. and a caucus and, and haley's also, in the primary and the other candidate like it's it's and also that could go uh, uh, if you're if you're surveying county chairs that uh matter in nevada you you can single it to a singular right are, it is county right, chair right. it is clark county that's <laughs> right. pretty much it so goes clark so goes all of nevada by the numbers it's like 75 percent of the population right right but like, there's going to be a long stretch after that, um, you know, and like uh, the, the the whole middle of February, in which really nothing is happening. No, nope. probably want to run a survey then and just see how things are shaking up, uh, see who's dropped out of the race at that point, um, and you know, just see uh, how this is going. So I'll be working on this and hopefully figuring out this book over the course of the next year. Maybe have it out sometime in late 2025. That's the that's the dream right now. Well, I know I, for one, will be very, very excited to read it. Uh, Seth Maskett, where can people find you? Uh, you can find me at sethmaskett.com. Um, you can also track my uh, the work I've been doing to publicize this can mostly be seen at my Substack called Tusk, T-U-S-K, which is at smotus.substack.com. You love to see it. Uh, I would highly recommend... Uh, everybody go ahead and, and, and read through it. It's been a fascinating follow. Thank you very, very much, Seth, for joining us. Great talking to you. Thanks so much for having me on. And that'll wrap it up us today. Politics, 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 written and hosted by me, Justin Robert Young for Dog and Pony Show Audio in Austin, Texas. If you would like to thank Mr. Seth Maskin, you can. Letter P, letter X, number three, guest.com. Again, letter P, letter X, number three, guest.com. Our email is theyoungamerican at gmail.com. Our Twitter is px3tweets for the show. Justin R. Young for me. Uh, you can see me live on the internet, px3live.com. Podcast is px3podcast.com. If you would like to support the show, you can do so with a one-time donation. PayPal.me slash payjury. Venmo is justin-young-20cashapp is px3cash. And you can send anything you'd like in the mail, P.O. Box 153184, Austin, Texas 78715. Again, post office box. 153184, Austin, Texas, 78715. However, if you would like to get bonus content on this show, of this show, you can join at our $3 level at TakePoliticsSeriously.com. And before we get into anything else, personal note, uh, (laughs) just to demonstrate exactly how much I 
I love and cherish people who have supported this show. And if you're listening to this part of the show, then I know you are a hardcore person that you guys can take this in the spirit that it is offered. But unfortunately, my wife lost her job this week and uh, not an opportune time for it to happen because, you know, we got to outlay a lot to go cover this stuff. So any raise, and we've seen a big uptick now that Chris Christie dropped out. So this primary is actually interesting. Uh, It's mattered a lot. And I I really, really appreciate it. Um, Know that it matters now more than ever. So if you've been on the fence, number one, newsworthy wise, it's, it's just a better way to go about it. You're just going to get so much more content. I'm going to be on the road. If Iowa is as interesting as we think it might be, if New Hampshire is as interesting as it might be, which means South Carolina would be the biggest South Carolina primary since 2000 on the Republican side, it would be McCain Bush again. Um, Look, it it just matters a lot. Uh, not only at the $3 tier where you get the two bonus episodes, but also at the Titanic $10 tier, including Alo, Ye Old Pinball Shop, John, DP4 Bongo, Sam, John, Edwin, Kathy Mack, and Gloria Young for King of the New World Order, Brian, Edison, Jeremy, a dog named Checker, Sarah Jeannie, Matthew, Dr. G, Neil, his nerdiness, Charles, Darren, Idris Arslanian, Berkeley, Stephen, Nomadic Terran, Molly's delightful demeanor, Adam, Chief Andy, Robert, Casey, Paul, Dustin, Brad, D-Laser, Nick, Just Another Pilot, Middle-Aged Mike, Utah, Jimmy, Montana, The Gen, Deep, really? Andrew, Gloria, my mom, Niemeister, Jay, Devon, the CFP, as well as newcomers JNTC. Again, the bonus content, which you get at uh, $3 and above, you can find at TakePoliticsSeriously.com. And guys, again, this is a big time to do it. Thank you, thank you, thank you. You have no idea how much I am grateful that a community that cares about the content that I create exists. I owe it all to y'all. All right. We'll be back on Wednesday where we will have the results of the Iowa caucus. We will preview New Hampshire and so much more. Until then, this is your old pal Justin Robert Young saying some shows talk about politics, others talk about politics, and still more discuss politics, but this, this is the only show that dares discuss. Oh, three. Diamond Club hopes you have enjoyed this program. (laughs) Dog and Pony Show Audio.